0: terms and conditions
1: apply Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home it's the place that brings family and friends together it's where you're the best version of yourself Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations listings start at 200k for 1 8th ownership Picasso does all the work for you Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically, for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's PACASO.com.
0: Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.
1: What's going on? Welcome to today's Pelicans podcast presented by Seakeek. I'm Daniel Salerson. Hope this Wednesday finds you well. The Pelicans are off today. They don't practice till later on Thursday night. So it was a perfect time to have a podcast for you. We have a very special guest making his podcast debut for us is Stan Van Gundy, former head coach of the Miami Heat, Orlando Magic, and Detroit Pistons. Currently, now an NBA TV and NBA analyst for NBA TV and TNT. Stan, I appreciate you coming on. How are you? I'm doing well.
0: Uh, looking forward to this thing getting started again. I actually uh, am broadcasting the first NBA game back. I have the uh, Utah New Orleans game on July the 30th. So. Uh, It's uh, interesting to be here with you today.
1: Yeah, it's perfect timing. Actually, for all of you that don't know, Stan and I go way back 10 years ago as a radio intern for the Orlando Magic. Um, I had to go to practice every day and talk to Stan. I'm not going to lie, Stan, this is a good time for me to admit this, that I was very intimidated to ask you a question 10 years ago. I just, I think I asked you one question. I got a look from you because I think it was a very obvious question, like keys to holding Boston on the three-point line. And I was like, I'm never asking one again. So it's kind of ironic now that, one, I had the courage to ask you a question, and two, you you're actually in the media with me. So I feel like we're all coming full circle here.
0: Yes, we are. And, and I'm, you know what? I heard the same from uh, Kristen Ledlow, who's at NBA TV, had interned I think the year before you did. Okay. And she said the same thing, that I intimidated her when, when she came in uh, during the playoffs, you know, to, to have to ask some questions. I don't look at myself as very intimidating, so I think it's more the position of being an intern uh, than me being intimidating at all. At least I hope so.
1: Yes, I have been able to ask questions since then, but it was, it was kind of good to start with you and then kind of work my way up. But uh, I, I guess I should start with uh, this transition from being a coach to broadcasting. How did this come about? And what made you want to get into the media business? Well, look,
0: I, I think, you know, I, when you're not coaching, you know, and basketball's really all that I know, um, you know, and you want to stay involved in the game. I, I was very fortunate that I had some interest from people in the broadcasting, did some work with ESPN last year. And then Turner gave me an opportunity to broadcast games this year, as well as work in the studio at NBA TV. They've been absolutely fantastic to, uh, to work for it. It keeps me around the game, which is what I love. So I've enjoyed it. It's a lot harder than it looks. Um, I've only done seven or eight games. Ian Eagle has been my play by play guy and he's carrying me. I tell him to make sure he's lifting weights every day so he can keep getting me up on his shoulders, but he's teaching me a lot as he go, as we go along. And, and hopefully at some point, um, I'll get good at this. I'm trying to get better every time out. Uh, and it's it's nice to have a new challenge.
1: Absolutely. And Eagles is definitely one of the best in the business. So you are learning uh, from a great man and I. And, and you do a great job. We've been watching you and looking forward to you on the call for that Jazz and Pelicans game on July 30th. Something else that is also new to you is you being on Twitter. I think you kind of shocked the NBA world when you joined Twitter uh, with a picture of your, your name on there. We knew it was you, and now you are tweeting like crazy. You know, I follow you on Twitter, and it's nonstop, I guess. What made you take the leap into the social media world? Well,
0: really, it was politics. Uh, my right. wife and I have always been involved politically, um, you know, supporting candidates, things like that. Um, obviously, now I have more time on my hands than I've had uh, at any other time. And so we dove in a little deeper and we were on a a phone call with a candidate for state's attorney here in Florida, in Central Florida that we're uh, supporting. We were on a call with her and uh, her advisors and some of her supporters. And everybody was talking about strategy and how important social media is and everything else. And I said to my wife, should I get on social media to, you know, promote not only Monique Warrell, who we are talking about, but other candidates. And she said yes. And so that's sort of why I got, why I got on just a little over a week ago and um, trying to support candidates and causes that, that we believe in, but also provide some basketball content too. Um, I think I think I just, even before I knew I was coming on with you, I I think I I tweeted a little New Orleans content uh, yesterday, I think. So um, knowing that that's what will draw most people to me, um, you know, I try to at least provide a tweet a day with some basketball content.
1: Did you ever think you would hit 41.1 thousand followers in the span of one week? I mean, that's how that's how many people are wanting you on Twitter, Stan.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know anything about it. So <laughs> okay. I know that President Obama has over 100 million. So um, that proves there's a lot of really smart people that understand the difference between Barack Obama and Stan Van Gundy. That's what that proves. So I don't know what the numbers mean. I just, you know, I, I hope some of the people that we're trying to support, that people listen and, and maybe at least think about what we're talking about.
1: I'm sure you'll get to Barack status in no time, Stan. I have faith in you that you'll be able to get there. I won't
0: get to Barack status in any way. Not in number (laughs) of followers, not in intelligence, not in contribution to my fellow man, not in any way. We're talking one of the greatest people that's uh, walked this earth in my lifetime. And, uh, you know, no, I'm not going to get there. (laughs)
1: No doubt about it. Um, let's talk about before we get into the Pelicans, because yes, I did see that tweet, and that was one of the the other reasons why it kind of captiv- uh, really captivated me to get you on the podcast. But I want to talk about the bubble just for a second, because obviously this is something new to everyone, and I think everyone has their eyes and ears locked on how are these players doing? How are these coaches doing? How's this going to work? Will they be able to get through an entire season? What would be the biggest concern for you if you were in there as a head coach? What do you think some of the maybe challenges would be? one, keeping your team mentally focused on the task at hand and just being a part of this whole bubble experience during a pandemic?
0: I don't think there's going to be much challenge in terms of getting them to stay focused. Mm -hmm. And I say that because of this. There's, There's no distractions, and I would think because there's so little else going on, that by far the best time of their day every day is when they get to go to practice Mm -hmm. and be with their teammates and play basketball. And I'm not sure that's always true in a normal situation, but I think it is now. So I think that part will be fine. I would worry more about the off-court, the the absolute boredom and the mental health challenges of being away from family, friends, support groups, for such a long period of time. You know, early on here, we've we've heard almost no complaints, and guys haven't been around their teammates. So they're excited to be back with their teammates, and that's enough probably social interaction for right now, is being with their teammates off the court. After a while, you're going to be with those same guys 24 hours a day, and you're going to want to be with other people, friends, girlfriends, family, and, and you can't. And I think that's going to be a very, very difficult situation. Um, Not only for players, for coaches too. I just think it's going to be a challenge to have support and balance in your life. That would be my concern, but I don't know what you do
1: about that as a coach. When we talk about advantages of disadvantages being there, as far as team standpoint, you know, you look, there's no home court advantage anymore. Um, So some of those teams, uh, that hurts them a little bit, but also it might be a little advantageous for a team that's more close together, uh, a team with a lot of veterans. For a team like the Pelicans, how do you think they fare as far as being a younger team going into this bubble, but yet they really don't have to worry about at-home court advantage of potentially playing, let's say, a Lakers in the first round or just their first two games are Utah and L.A., which would have been a back-to-back in their home arenas. How does a team like New Orleans fare in such a, a different scheme of things with the NBA going on right now? Yeah,
0: I don't know. I mean, it, yeah. it's so hard. We've never seen this before. I mean, obviously, the lack of home court advantage helps the lower-seeded teams. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And and it makes the, the better teams more vulnerable. They can't count on, you know, coming home to finish the job. So I think it changes everything. I think the tough part for New Orleans, I actually think their schedule's Pretty difficult in the eight games, you know, because here's how what I think's gonna happen, particularly early on, because there's no home court, those contending teams are really not playing for a lot. Seven teams in the West, six teams in the East, sort of locked in. I think they're gonna ease into the whole thing. They've been off for a long time. And I think you'll see the you know, star players playing. Fairly limited minutes. They'll probably ramp it up as time goes on. And so I think in a strange way, having games against the contending teams is probably a little softer schedule. It's almost like exhibition games in a normal year than playing the other contenders. And, and so New Orleans, those two games against SAC, the game against Memphis, The game against San Antonio, those are absolutely key games. To me, New Orleans is going to have to win three out of those four, um, you know, to really stay in it. Now, let's remember, they don't need to get to Memphis. They don't need to catch Memphis. I don't know if anybody catches Memphis. Three-and-a-half game lead with eight to go is a pretty good lead. Memphis would have to fall apart. You've just got to be in the ninth spot and be within four games, which they already are, you know. So what they've got to do is they've got to make sure they finish ahead of Portland, Sac, San Antonio um, to be in that spot to be able to play Memphis. So the chance is still there, but they're going to have to win those games against the other teams um, that are battling for those spots. And then I think like their first two games, Utah and the Clippers – If they can be up and running, if they can be in shape, ready to go, playing well, and their key guys, Ingram, Zion, Williamson, Ball, they have great depth, which I think helps them. But if their key guys can be ready to play big minutes right off the bat and take advantage of teams easing into it, uh, yeah, I think they've got a shot.
1: Yeah, it is really interesting to kind of dissect the schedule and how maybe those first two games are super important, but you really don't know how the Jazz and the Clippers are going to treat those compared to the teams that the Pelicans are fighting for. So a really interesting point there. Um, Speaking of Zion, small sample size, getting to watch him during the season, only 19 games. So much hype surrounding him, how how well of shape he's in. But from what you've seen, what have you made from Zion's 19 games so far in the NBA?
0: Well, I I think, look, in a very difficult situation where, you know, he didn't get to play for so long, um, was just starting to work into game shape, really. To be able to do what he did in that amount of time tells you that he's everything everybody thought he was. Well, how he was able to produce coming into the season, you know, over halfway into it and step in was incredible. But I think what he did for the Pelicans went far beyond his numbers and his production on the floor because I think when they got Zion Williamson, the confidence level of that team went way up and they thought they were really, really good. And so what we saw in the 20 games since he was back, now he missed one of them, like you said, he played 19. But in those 20 games, they were not only the 11th best offense in the league and they've been a good offensive team all year, they were the eighth best defense. Now, you can't explain that based on Zion being there because he certainly right now, he's no better than an average defender. He's not bad, I'm not blaming him, but he's not enough to elevate your defense. I think what elevated their defense was a sense of urgency that, hey, we've got a chance now. We've got this guy here with us. We've got a chance to get in the playoffs. We're going to have to bear down at the defensive end of the floor, and they did. And, and I, you can't quantify a guy bringing that kind of confidence to a team, that they know that that great talent gives them a chance to win. I think he did that for the Pelicans. I think they believe now, and I think they're going to be really interesting to watch. I, I love their, their roster. David Griffin did a fabulous job putting together a roster, and I think they're certainly one of the most interesting stories uh, going into this Orlando restart.
1: Absolutely. One of those guys on the roster is someone you know very well in J.J. Redick, who began his career with the Orlando Magic. I remember him 10 years ago. Um, trying to find his way in the NBA. How how have you seen him evolve from your days of coaching him to where he is now, a a veteran leader on this team and has made the playoffs in all 13 seasons he's been in the NBA?
0: Yeah, none of that's surprising to me. Um, I I think one of the remarkable things about J.J.'s career is how he continued to get better into his mid-30s. He just kept improving every year. Now, this year his minutes have gone down a little bit on a really deep team. But, you know, through last year in, you know, in Philly, where he was, what, 35 years old, he was still getting better. And mm-hmm. it's a testament to the work he puts in and the way he takes care of himself, plus his extreme intelligence. And he's one of the most competitive guys I've ever I've ever been around. Um, and he's emblematic of what I think David Griffin's done with this New Orleans team, right? Is he He's got these eight guys who are 25 or younger that Pelicans fans rightly can be excited about. Brandon Ingram's an all-star. Zion will be very soon. Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, Frank Jackson, Jackson Hayes. You know, all of these, Nick Alexander, Walker, Jaleel Okafor. He's got all these guys. But what he did that I think not enough people do is he not only put veterans who could play around him, but he put really high character veterans but they can produce on the court so JJ, Drew Holiday Etwan Moore Derek Favors and then a European veteran in Nick Melli. so like they have this tremendous mix of young guys and guys who've been through the battles and know what it's all about but can still play um, I mean I I'm excited to watch them in New Orleans. They're a team I've enjoyed watching all year long. And, and J.J. is certainly a great guy to have as one of the leaders of that team because of not only how he produces on the court, but how he prepares himself, takes care of himself, and works at his game.
1: Before I let you go, do you have a JJ Reddick story that you're able to share? Whether it's with your time in Orlando or just through the years of knowing him, is there like one story of JJ that kind of sticks out to you?
0: I don't know if it if it's if it's one if it's one story, but it was a it was a moment in time. So JJ's third year in the league, second year with. Uh, with me, he, he had had a good year. He was coming off the bench, um, you know, and playing well. He was our, our starter at the time, who didn't really play any more minutes than JJ, was, was Courtney Lee. And Courtney got an orbital bone broken um, against Philadelphia in the first round of the playoffs. So when we played Boston in the second round, they were the defending champions. And J.J. started and guarded Ray Allen, who was obviously a great player and a huge part of their team. And, you know, no one or very few people in the league gave J.J. a lot of credit for his defense. You know, they all knew he could shoot the ball and all of that, but he didn't get enough credit for his defense. And we stuck J.J. on Ray Allen for that entire seven-game series. And he was phenomenal. And and I have said this about JJ ever since. You can build a very good defense, a top ten NBA defense, with a guy like JJ Reddick because he never has a breakdown, or a very very no not that really, he's never, but he very very rarely has a breakdown. You're not going to get easy baskets against JJ. He's not going to give you a back cut for a layup. Because he fell asleep, he's not going to give you a wide open shot because he didn't get back on defense or he missed an assignment. He's going to help his teammates. If it's his job to pick up the big roll into the rim, he's going to pick up the big roll into the rim. You know, so what you're going to have to do is create shots on him one on one and make shots over the top. And over time, if that's all you're giving up to people, you're going to be pretty good. So, Is J.J. a lockdown defender? No, he's not. But is he an outstanding team defender? Is he great with game plans? Can his teammates count on him? Absolutely. And as a coach, you come to trust him a great deal. And to me, that's how great defenses are built. It's with the trust that coach can have in his players, players can have in the system, and players can have in each other and J.J. can be a vital cog in that.
1: That's a great answer, and we're lucky to have J.J. Uh, on the Pelicans right now, and we're very lucky to have you on the podcast, Stan Van Gundy, NBA TV and TNT analyst. He'll be a part of the broadcast, the Pelicans, I guess, restart opener against the Utah Jazz on July 30th. And, of course, don't forget to follow Stan on Twitter at VG. Uh, Certainly been entertaining so far in the week that he's been on. Stan, I really appreciate the time. Thank you for the insight, and hopefully we'll talk down the road. Thank you very much. And I'll do it for today's edition of the Pelicans podcast, presented by Sea Geek. A really big thanks to Stan Van Gundy for coming on. I've been eyeing trying to get him on the podcast for at least this last week since he joined Twitter. He did mention the Pelicans on his account. And, of course, uh, ironically now he will be a part of the TNT broadcast on July 30th when the Pelicans open up against the utah jazz we'll have another podcast for you on friday mark spears from espn's the undefeated yeah we had him on a couple weeks ago but a couple weeks ago he wasn't stuck in a bubble in orlando so he's currently quarantining right now we want to check in on him and see how he's doing in there and what it's like to be in that orlando bubble so you don't want to miss that on friday's show we'll have a snippet of that interview on pelicans weekly which will, again, be yours tomorrow at 6 p.m. on ESPN New Orleans. And if you missed the show on the radio, you'll can hear it on pelicans.com at 631 once the show ends. And Darius Thornwell, the newest Pelican, will be the guest as Todd Graffanini is your host. Hope you have a great rest of your day. Try to stay out of the heat and the rain here in New Orleans. Please wear your mask. And until Friday, I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of your day.